0: Narcissistic people are always naturally drawn to leadership. They like being in power. They like the control. So I think we're in the ultimate era of
1: narcissism in politics. Do you think that the reason why Trump is so triggering is because you think that he's a narcissist? When Trump won in New Hampshire, you'd think he'd be
0: happy. But the first thing he did was he spent most of his time getting mad at Nikki Haley. That to me was such a classical move that remember we just said, can a narcissistic person be happy even when they're at the top? They're not happy. <laughs> because they're looking at who's here. So they waste their happy times putting down the other person. So here was his moment and he spent it criticizing someone else. You tell me what that is. I'm sure there are some small town candidates, town councils, Mm -hmm. state representatives. There's some mayors out there that are probably good people who want what's right for their town. But at this national and global stage, we are not seeing it. We can complain about these politicians all we want, but the narcissistic politicians are the ones who we keep voting for.
1: Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it sure should be simple. I have been taking AG1 for a couple of years now. I take it first thing in the morning on an empty stomach, which is how they recommend to take it. It has helped me feel the most healthy that I've ever been. That's because AG1 delivers all of the vitamins, minerals, prebiotics, probiotics that I need for my gut health, which is where I feel like I've had the most improvement. My stomach feels flat, not bloated ever. I can accept any food so much easier. I have more energy every day. My skin looks better. There's a million things that I feel like AG1 has helped with to make me my healthiest self. It's just one scoop mixed in water every day, and it makes me feel the healthiest I've ever been. If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1. And that's why I partnered with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3 plus K2 and get five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com prettyintense pretty intense. That's drinkag1.com prettyintense pretty intense. Check it out. Oh my God, how's it going? How is the book putting it together? Oh my God, books are so much work, aren't they? (laughs) I don't think I've ever worked this hard. Maybe graduate school, but
0: it's so much work. You know, the promotion stuff is not what comes naturally to me. The writing, easy.
1: Coming from someone grateful for your work, uh, your... You're excellent with this stuff. You're an excellent communicator. You put things in a way that people can grasp it, which is so important. That. Thank you. If someone's been lucky enough to not have been a victim of it, God bless. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and the and the goal would be to not ever have anyone. Sure. Um, but I mean, it almost seems like you have to have had experienced it to actually really get it and understand it. Like Because the abuse is so nuanced and it's small Mm -hmm. and it's like a thousand Mm -hmm. stabs Mm -hmm. along the way, how do we help someone that hasn't been a victim of it before. Mm -hmm. Like what are the red flags to look for Mm -hmm. um, so that you don't get that get into that position, which we're gonna go way into because it's such a deep wound. Yeah. So
0: I'm gonna I'm gonna even rewind that a little bit because exactly what you're talking about. We recently put a YouTube video out, out about this, which is there is a strange, special, incredibly lucky subset of people who really have not experienced this. And whatever they've experienced is so mild, or the person not that significant in their lives. In other words, they came from happy families where mm-hmm. parents were happily married, the parents weren't narcissistic, close-knit family, siblings weren't like this. There were any if there were any people in the family either the the strength of the of the core family just sort of no everybody believed everyone, right? So they would say, "No, that's not okay. You shouldn't talk like that." And then they had their fortuitous enough to go into adulthood and meet someone and get into a long-term committed relationship with someone who's not narcissistic and work in a place where they don't work with significantly narcissistic people. There are, in fact, people out there like this, believe it or not. And they're a tricky group of people because some of them can be a support to people going through this. But unfortunately, it's exactly the point you were making, Danica. If you don't understand what this is, it's almost like someone trying to explain a UFO and you've never seen one. And you're sort of like, oh, that's sweet. You saw green men. And you're like, no, 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 This is really bad. You really don't want this. And so to your point, though, to people who especially the, the, and I think your question almost relates a lot to people maybe who may not have had this in a family of origin, but are now adults and they're dating and they're meeting people. What about there? And I think number one is believe in it. Because if you think like, oh, this is sort of a made up thing that bitter people in relationships are putting out there, you're just, you're, you're playing with
1: karma. I mean, you're going to get bit. So totally. or so many guys that are like, every girl just says they're dating a narcissist. And you're like,
0: well, you know, well, yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> look inward dudes. So it's a, there's, I think that it's believed that it's a thing that, you know, if, if I, I think one of the tricky bits here is that. We know how many people, we can estimate how many people have NPD because people have done that research and they come into research labs and you study them and you interview them. It's a little Mm -hmm. bit trickier to make this estimate of how many people in the population are narcissistic enough that it would cause trouble for other people.
1: The Mm. spitballed
0: number that myself, other experts, just based on if you added up all the years of work we've done in this, you know, like it's just a lot of time we've done in this. I'm guessing probably like one in six you know so f- somewhere between 15 maybe 20% if you live in a big city like LA but that's so yeah 15 to 20% where the narcissism is enough that you're like okay this is not this behavior is not okay right mm-hmm. so it's not like it's the majority not even by a long shot not even close to 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 half but statistically speaking if you know five people by those or six people by those odds yeah. you probably <laughs> one of them might might be there all of that said is that i think that people a you have to believe it's true B, you need to understand the sort of the tricky bit that they often come in strong, charming, charismatic, confident, attractive. They Mm. say the right things. They're Mm. very attuned initially. And that's also what throws people off because Mm. I think, Danica, with people, the mistake they make is they're looking for the red flags and the warning signs you'd see eight months into a relationship in the first month. And they're probably not going to show up then. So it's the—it's almost as though all this good stuff you might be experiencing with someone, their attunement, and they're fun, and they're curious, and they're confident, and they're successful. Great, great, great. Slow down. It's really about pressing the brakes and always taking it slow. If a narcissistic person's really into you, they like to go fast because in a way it's almost like they're going to get your supply. And it's like the butterfly under gl- glass. They'll be able to trap you and then you'll get trauma bonded and you'll sort of be in it. But if you slow down, you tune into your body, you pay attention to like, this doesn't feel like this doesn't feel good. Like there's something here that doesn't quite feel right. Pay attention to that. It's it's really about being discerning. And I was just talking with someone recently and I said, So many people spend so much time analyzing what they eat, what they drink, spending $60 for some bottle of juice, you know, choosing the right, you know, choosing the right clothing, choosing the right car, comparison shopping for a suitcase for heaven's sake. And so they'll go through all that for those things. But when it comes to people, we're incredibly undiscerning. We almost feel like we're being mean if we do that, but yet- you're going to be you're going to be real fussy about a suitcase but you're not going to be fussy about who you spend time with and so we almost need to level up on how we think about those things slowing down paying attention recognizing what kind of behavior is not appropriate what is narcissism what is gaslighting all of that and then and slow down but this should have been taught in school like I honestly think this is something we should t- teach you know kids in middle school and high school so they already know that these patterns in a relationship are not
1: okay A hundred percent. There's a lot of things that probably should be taught in school that aren't taught in school that would be really helpful in our lives. I'm
0: Mm -hmm. pretty sure I didn't
1: need any geometry. (laughs) Um, but, um, so what are those, what are those, um, signs? What are, you said they move really fast. And, and when I'm asking these questions, I'm like, I'm coming from experience on a lot on this. So like, give me some, like, I want to hear like your, what are the signs along the way? Cause there's moving fast, but then there's, there's things that also happen. My experience, like, you know, kind of words and actions, not always matching, mm-hmm. like letting you down, being late to things like, mm-hmm. you know, changing the plans last second. Like, mm-hmm. so like, can you, can you keep adding to this sort of you know, basket of things that happen at the very beginning, al- along mm-hmm. with this moving fast because there's so much good, right? It feels magical, mm-hmm. and they tell you, "You're, um, we're soulmates, we're twin flames, even, or we were." I can't believe that y- you know you're single, and like how mm-hmm. how oh, am I so lucky? And God, they say all the right things, right, and they they like mm-hmm. all the same things you like. But there are other signs, there are the negative signs. So, can you help us out with some of more some of those?
0: So, some of the other ones is you know you pay attention to how they receive any form of feedback, right? So, while you're basking and that they're doing everything perfectly, you're often sort of becoming supply. Oh my gosh, this is so nice. Thank you. No one's ever treated me this well. That's all supply for them. But there may be a day. You might even give them feedback that you don't even think is a criticism sort of like I don't think this is the right parking lot for this place. What do you think? I don't know how to drive? Like you don't know how, I, I don't I don't think I had drive a car. Oh yeah, Danica, you're the race car driver so you always know where to park. So Or when they uh, tell me
1: that I was a bad driver? I'm a bad driver. <laughs> so, cuz drama is fuel. Right, drama is they, and they
0: and then when they they lose it right over something as that's as small as they're literally parking in the wrong parking garage you kind of catch yourself and you might even feel hurt you might even look hurt you might even get tears in your eyes or something like that and then they'll double down on that and say oh my gosh are you really this sensitive are you that much of a baby that you're and so you're now at that point your wings are starting to get clipped because mm-hmm. you're thinking, well, that maybe they're right. And so what's a big deal if you have to walk an extra three blocks and they don't validate the parking? This person pays for everything anyhow. So people then start thinking like, I'm being unreasonable instead of a person just yelled at me when I gently said, you're parking in the wrong place. And to really see that through the lens of this is unacceptable, but it's really challenging against the, the backdrop of all this other good stuff. They will also, They will also future fake. So there will be promises made and promises taken, but the promises Mm -hmm. are meant to keep you on the chain and keep you around, right? So there's something you want to do. And the funny thing about a narcissistic person early on is they're narcissistic. People are very socially perceptive. They're, you know, we think of them as not having empathy as though they're socially clueless, anything, but it's why they're such good salespeople. So they're very socially perceptive. They can really read a room, but they're only reading the room in a self-serving way. Mm -hmm. So they're very clear on what it is you want or need. That's what all that love bombing is. They're listening intently. And when they're listening to you so intently, they're figuring out what, what matters to you, what would hurt you, what would be a deal breaker for you, all those things, what you crave more than anything. And then they'll use those things if you're sort of, for example, maybe they'll sense you're disengaging a bit and then they'll they'll say hey you know what i know you've really been wanting to do this road trip to such and such and i know i've been too busy let's get it in the books for december let's do it and you're thinking oh my gosh they really did hear me oh well, december comes it's around thanksgiving like oh, you know what i had this thing come up at work i can't do it now you've just been, spent another 4 months in the relationship you can't get that 4 months back so there's a lot of moving of the goalposts over and over and over again but you mm-hmm. want to believe because the thing they're they're offering shows that they were listening. And so you're thinking, it's not like they're just offering me some random gift. They really know what I want. They must really care. So you, and anytime you'll see that they're disappointed, you go to the restaurant, the table they requested doesn't come. They might get really surly with the with the server or, the, um, or, or they'll be really grossly entitled. Like, don't you know how often I come here? Don't you know who I am? I'm a this, I'm a that. I come here all the time. I could buy and sell you a hundred times or whatever horrific thing they say. They'll get really antagonistic if they don't. Their car doesn't come out first, or they they're um, they, from the parking lot, or they they don't get the table they want, or they don't get the reservation they want. So that entitlement gets clipped, and they mm. will act. They'll react angrily. A lot of people will say this when they're dating, like you yeah, know something like that happened, and it was kind of uncomfortable. But the way the narcissistic person would pass it off is they'd say. Baby, I just wanted to make you a special night. You know, I know I'm reacting strongly, but this was all for you. Now you feel like a terrible person because this poor host person at the restaurant got screamed at because it was for you. So you can see how this contorts in so many ways that even early in the game, people are getting confused.
1: Yeah, I'm glad you hit on that right at the end because as you were talking, I wrote down just, you know, as my notes as you're talking, and wrote down about how they make everything feel like your fault. Yes. It's a yes. real mm-hmm. friggin mm-hmm. art form mm-hmm. that they mm-hmm. do, but they mm-hmm. make you feel like it's your fault yep. everything. And so, how do they do that?
0: Well, they they do it through a very, you know, very well-constructed system of defenses because the best way to convince someone of something is if you kind of believe it too they have a lot of conviction and that conviction isn't because Mm. deep 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 in their soul they believe it but it's their defenses to sort of maintain their grandiosity their perfection I could do nothing wrong it they make some like Teflon it's very easy because they don't have empathy right so if you don't have empathy you don't feel bad about blaming something for which they're not responsible and they're not in they're not even sort of consciously aware of this need to be perfectionist to be perfect all the time and so the blaming you the deflecting to you and making it seem like it was about you keep in mind too that they need a fertile target right so most of us and I'd say that most of us are those targets because we're empathic we're nice we can say like okay that's a possibility things are plausible and empathy
1: Healthy empathy means right, like, whatever well, right. they're saying is right. Maybe it is my fault. Maybe, maybe it is my fault. I should work yes. on myself. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe I should work mm-hmm. on not being so reactive. That's right. Even though they just dig the knife mm-hmm. in as deep as they can. Mm-hmm. So you do. And mm-hmm. if it's they don't get a reaction, dig it deeper. They'll dig
0: deeper because the reaction makes you look like you're out of control and it makes them look well put together and sane. So they get to maintain the narrative like you're out of your mind or you're out of control or can you believe I have to put up with this kind of thing? Mm -hmm. And you and many people will say, you know, before I got into this relationship, I was never a reactive person. I was actually very well put together. And because if you don't understand what narcissism is, you actually think you can get through to this person that's the challenge that's the problem there's no getting through so the minute you understand that you don't try it anymore so if mm-hmm. a person were to understand that early in the game the narcissistic person would walk because they'd recognize oh, yeah. the it's almost like a like a, a market where a salesperson's looking for right so the person's literally coming in to kick the tires or check what the upholstery color color of the car is and leave then Then, and the salesperson's like, these people aren't buying a car, you know, and they're going to move on to someone else. So we really have to seem like the person who's not buying a car.
1: Mm. How about um, one thing that I feel like I got caught out in was um, I'm super honest. Mm. And so um, when there'd be questions in the beginning, like, um, oh, you know, what should I not do? Like, tell me the things that I should like not do to make sure that I don't make you mad or that you'll leave, like what a fricking trap (laughs) it's talk about what they do with that information yeah
0: so in the early in the relationship you know fun a friend of mine he calls it data mining i just call it gathering intel (laughs) all of that that intent focus all of that interest they'll ask questions like what's your worst fear you know yeah what are the things like your biggest insecurity what's your biggest insecurity and there, and that feels like intimacy to a lot of people hundred oh, percent vulnerable, and we're really opening up, and this is all that anybody wants, yeah. and so people go all in. but in essence, it's it's no different than somebody hacking into your computer and getting your social and all your credit card numbers. it's That's exactly what they're doing, but psychologically,
1: you know, you think it's intimacy, and you know, for those out there, like you know, maybe you get caught a little bit, maybe you've heard this and you you try it. Try and ask them the question, because that's where it really gets interesting Mm -hmm. is when you get asked, what's your, what's your insecurity? And then you ask them, what's your insecurity? And then you get some bullshit answers. Like, I know what I bring to the table, which is something I heard. Or they lie. like, I should have known that was just like the worst answer. Like, it's not an answer. Or they lie. They lie. They literally
0: will, Uh you know, they won't tell the truth. So now it's it's almost like, you know, you've seen cults there'll be what we call collateralization, right? They'll get mm. they'll get the goods on someone. So if yeah. that person tries to leave, they can shame them. So mm. it's almost the equivalent of that. They'll know that, for example, your fear is abandonment, that maybe someone's mother you know, left the family when they were a child. So they forever know that they have abandonment in their back pocket. So that's a classic play. And when a person in a narcissistic relationship, let's say they've done it all, they've watched the videos, they've listened to your podcast, they've read the books, they get it it's around, they're six weeks into the relationship. Some of the tiny little red flags are coming up. The person's like, oh yeah, no, I like this person, but I don't know. And this doesn't feel comfortable. And then, but they've already opened up to them and they've maybe again shared stuff that's abandonment related. What the narcissistic person will do, the person might say, can you, can we slow down? Like this is going really fast. I like you, but can we slow down? And the narcissistic person will turn around and say, You know, I'm thinking you probably, probably, really don't want a committed relationship. You know, the why would you know? I'm really into you, and I really want something with you, and I see a future with you. But this whole slow down thing, maybe we're not on the same page. So, if a person has even a shadow of a doubt and wants to stay in this relationship, that's when the rush can happen. They'll say. Mm -hmm. Well, I actually think I do want a committed relationship. So they're gaslighting. This person does want a committed relationship. They're just asking for things to slow down a little. And then the narcissistic person will play on that abandonment wound. Ah, I think I'm going to go. And yeah. for most people who have abandonment wounds, they will just rush back in. And that's usually where the whole thing falls apart. I know. <laughs> I don't mean to laugh. Like, I know. No, no. <laughs> it's just term. it's
1: so true. It's, it's, it's just so true. Um, do they know what they're doing? Is this like a, I see, I'm like, I I really have thought so much about this. It's been years thinking, and like observing and I, 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 they all fit the same blueprint. Like they fit the blueprint. Actually, it might be a good time to go into the, to the types of narcissists because I, like I wasn't dealing with an overt narcissist as a covert. So, you know, I think it's interesting to get into that, but, but I just don't, they, they all just fit into this pattern so well that I don't know that they really know they're doing it. And I'm not trying to let them off the hook, but, or do they? Well, I guess what the question becomes, do they know what they're doing,
0: right? So we're having an experience of what they're doing, right? We feel like we're being played. Right? We're being manipulated. We're being drawn in. there It's like, push, pull us close, push us back, pull us close, push us back. Which, by the way, is another thing that happens in these relationships a lot. There'll be a frenzy of texting, and -hmm. you're like, whoa, and then they'll silence, Mm -hmm. frenzy of texting, Mm -hmm. silence. That's how the trauma bond gets formed, right? And then you're
1: like, oh,
0: I want more. You really want
1: them, so you think Mm -hmm. they're there. And then you try and make up an excuse why they're not really there. Yeah, exactly. You become obsessed, and then you become so
0: relieved. And and I'll you know I just want to make one comment to that before we get to the types. There is this beautiful analogy, a woman named Rebecca Humphreys, who lives in the UK, she's written a book on gaslighting and relationships, and she was caught in a very public scandal involving gaslighting, like where pictures of her boyfriend kissing someone else ended up on the front page of the tabloids because he was famous and it was a whole thing. She wrote this great memoir, and she gave this great analogy where she said, in a narcissistic relationship, you're swept away, and they take you to the top of a 100-story building, and it's exciting, and the view is beautiful. And then they push you off, but they're hanging right there at about the third story to catch you before you hit the ground. So they become both perpetrator and savior. They give you all the texts they pull out. So they become everything. And so yeah. you, you create this really strange
1: sort of association. Breadcrumbing effect. is how it, yeah. like when I'm talking to people about it, I tell them like, you're getting breadcrumbed. Like, you know, it's just enough because you really want it to work. And it's like, and you remember the very beginning with all the idealistic, amazing things that are said and done. And, they whisk you away and it's so amazing but then but but those breadcrumbs you just you're feasting on them
0: right and and they are and you and but yeah you're at the same time you're starving to death because it's not enough
1: exactly. and that
0: that's that hollowing out so do they know what they're doing what they know is that they they like attention, they like admiration, they Mm -hmm. like validation. And I don't even know that they know that they need those things. So they're in a relationship and they're going to behave in a way that's going to get them attention, admiration, and validation. So they're doing the thing that feels good. That's Mm -hmm. what it is. And so the rest of it, because narcissistic people are actually – incredibly not self-examined people how much they like to talk about themselves they don't actually understand how they tick because it's too shameful so they make up some grand narrative about some self-development nonsense but they really don't understand what makes them tick so it's not like they're sort of some Dr. Evil rubbing their hands together and saying ha 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 I'm a new victim I'm going to destroy this person from the inside out they're like well I like that person they're hot I want to, I want to, you know, I'm, I'm going to hang out with them. And then I want them to tell me I'm great. And It's a game. It's a game for them. And so, and it's, and if the more a person brings status or attractiveness or something that the narcissistic person needs, they're really going to hustle up to keep that person around. So they're not as tactically smart as you think they're doing what works for them. Mm-hmm. And they're not really, it's not organized. It's almost like asking like, does a three-year-old know what they're doing? At any given time, a three-year-old's doing what feels good. Mm-hmm. and so is that some organized strategy i suppose over time the three-year-old will learn what works but a narcissistic person is the same they're not really sure what's happening internally they're just they're 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 running a hustle that's but they don't even think they're running a hustle that's the yeah problem. They, that they makes sense they're they think they're they think they're dating you know or they think they have game or something like that but they don't I, they certainly don't think that they're going into this to harm someone
1: mm-hmm. they think they're
0: sense. great people they
1: don't they probably don't think they're a narcissist, like no. in those words, right? Because um, that's like the number one reason why you can know that you're probably not a narcissist is that you would think maybe I am, right? So they never ever think they. Are. I don't think they are aware, um, but they know what they they know what they need to feel good, and they'll do whatever it takes to feel good. And the que- the real question then becomes: How do they not see the cyclical nature? Of the pattern of their life, like how do they not see? Because there's such a I, I, this is my observation. Please correct me if I'm wrong, but they have a very cyclical, like repetition of cycles, um, in relationships. Mm-hmm. Right?
0: Would you agree? They do, and and so you got to remember they're also master storytellers, right? So number one, they're they they're have a themselves. tremendous. To the, yeah, to, and to, the, to themselves in the world, so they have an incredible capacity of foisting blame on other people. Oh, mm-hmm. I keep attracting the same kind of terrible people. So it's like the only thing they're going to say is consistent is poor me. I'm attracting these terrible people. That's why
1: it's a cycle. Oh man that's not helping them, but like that's still, so there's no, there's no way for self-reflection because I've even looked at that in my own life. Like, okay, what kind of, what kind of people, what kind of guys am I attracting? And like, I can find a pattern, right? Mm -hmm. Like, because you don't end up wanting the same thing over and over again, and you don't want things to fail. You want them to succeed. So I, it's crazy that they wouldn't be able to see, they would look at it as a victim as opposed to a pattern. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, no, no, no. They because to view it as a pattern would mean they're not perfect that they'd have to take some responsibility for that. There it
1: is. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So it's really why am I attracting bad these these bad people? Like what, you know, I'm a bad person magnet, but no no sense of what they you know that they keep repeating the same thing and like I said they don't they'll take no responsibility. They will always place the blame for why it didn't work out on some sort of Easy breezy, easy to sell. External factor: We were traveling too much, or they Mm. will
1: make it about some flaw inherent in that person. Mm. So, what's their core wound? Because they're coming from a wounded place, is correct. Mm. So, so what is that? What what happens to them? So, there's sort of two. There's a couple of different pathways that people get to narcissism.
0: Pathway one is sort of the pathway of adversity. It can be trauma. It can be neglect. It can be unavailable or inconsistent caregivers it can be attachment wounds, that kind of thing. And so there's a sense of this, this sort of internal not good enoughness, right, which they then try to cover up with grandiose defenses. Usually people who have that sort of adversity pathway, they were likely born with a more difficult temperament, more externalizing, more attention seeking, Mm. maybe even more Mm. sort of behaviorally hyperactive. And the combination of that could result in narcissism. Not everyone who most people who grow up like that. That's not how they end up, but that's one risk factor. So then that wound is usually an attachment wound. It's a lack of safety in relationships. It's almost like the sense of I'm gonna be perfect and overcompensate and I will be loved and I don't I don't need
1: all these feelings because feelings are a source of shame, right? Is it the unmet? emotional needs as a child do they feel unseen and so they have to hide aspects of themselves then and that's the sort of the mask that they then wear for the rest of their lives that they're trying to hide from other people because like their mother didn't love them the way they were their father didn't love them the way they were like how do they actually get into that patterning what does a parent do so
0: the, the parent may abuse them neglect them mock them um shame their needs Um, they, may also, then you have sort of what I call the kind of, um, you know, the performing pony kind of conditional love narcissism. If Mm. the kid has a skill, like the kid, I don't know, it plays a piano or plays soccer or is a great student or does a sport or something that might be the way that kid gets loved. And then the Mm. kid's like, okay, I'm going to really do well at this because then I'm going to get really loved. And that might be enough to win the parent over for at least for a period of time. But then that child gets a very, very, very clear lesson that all love is conditional because the only time their parent's going to look up and and not shame them is if they're succeeding. But even then, when the child succeeds, the parent will continue to shame them. Why didn't you play better in that game? Why didn't you get all A's? You know, that other kid got A pluses. That other kid's already taken college classes. You know, that other kid has already been scouted by whatever university. So it's, they're they're always a parent. It's never enough. So the parents are moving the goalposts too. And so all of that means that that kid does have to create this sort of, again, this really strong sense of defenses and grandiosity and all of that. But you got to remember, Danica, the vast majority of people who grow up like that do not become narcissistic. So it's not like everyone who grows up like that becomes narcissistic, but we can certainly look backwards at that narrative and we can see it. But then there's another group of narcissistic folks that it's not about the the traditional adversity, right? Like the mean, neglectful, or even physically abusive parent. These are parents that are overindulgent. They tell their kid, you're you're more special than any other kid. You're better than all of these people. I can't believe you even have to be in school with these these foolish people. And so the kid is really almost like indoctrinated into the sense of entitlement. Many times these are kids where their emotional needs aren't met, They aren't taught to regulate their emotions or allowed to tantrum and run roughshod and they get materially anything they want. And they have a lot of that. But the parents really aren't emotionally there. However, the child does get communicated to them that you are chosen. You are more special. And so that's almost more of a pathway to grandiose narcissism. In those cases, it's quite likely that the parent might be narcissistic too, which can be vulnerable. But again, not everyone who grows up like that becomes narcissistic some of them actually grow up really embarrassed and ashamed and so it is a it's you can always tell the story of narcissism backwards but it's very difficult to tell forwards but those core wounds are there but those core wounds are tricky Danica because a lot of people will say oh they did have a rough story I get it am I wrong for holding them to a behavioral standard am I wrong for expecting this of them if they were hurt as a child line up a bunch of people most of us were hurt as children and most of us aren't going around and and running roughshod and wreaking havoc in other people's lives
1: so it's is this part of why it's hard to identify true um narcissistic personality disorder because there's not like a firm blueprint on it well i think there's kind of a blueprint like and i think that the problem is what
0: you got to remember is that Nothing about human behavior and human psychology is what we call deterministic, meaning that yeah. there's no guarantees. There's no it's not like, you know, genetic illnesses where if you have this gene mutation, this is what's going to happen. Okay. There's some genetics, and we could say certainly the odds. it's it's yeah. all about probabilities. Sure. Personality mm-hmm. stuff is where it gets a lot more funky and mm. a lot more hazy because we have this piece of temperament. Then we have the early environment. And mm-hmm. then, you know, we have sort of all the other things that happen to the person. Mm-hmm. and still the vast majority, because remember, the, the prevalence of narcissistic personality disorder is somewhere between 1% and 6%, which mm-hmm. means 94% of people don't have it, which means the vast majority of people who might have had identical childhoods to them. In fact, I see this all the time. I work with people of a narcissistic sibling. The most empathic person might be my client, and their sibling is a malignant narcissist. They And, they, and I'll say, did you grow up similarly? They'll say, Yep. Of course, we were very similar. I mean, there was there was no. It's not like my parents got divorced at a different age, or we moved, or like it was similar. But they said, but the difference was, and most of them will say, my sibling was like never a picnic. Like even when they were young, they were demanding and difficult, and just a pain in the neck. And Mm -hmm. we that pain in the neck quality is kind of a universal in people who go on to be narcissistic. They were they tended not to be the easiest kids.
1: Okay. I've been thinking about something and it's a little bit of a thought, like just an interesting thought. I'm curious where where you land with all this. But, you know, my parent, my sister has four kids. All my friends have kids. Everybody has kids. And, you know, a kid will say, oh, mom, are you okay? And they'll be like, I'm fine. And there's like a million of those little lies that happen raising children, I feel like, where you're trying to protect them. You're trying to not overwhelm them maybe with, Problems they don't need to hear about. You don't. Um, you don't want to get after them for every last little thing. You just. You don't want to be honest about something because you just don't want to tell them. Like there's a lot of these little lies that come along that are fairly that are done in an innocent and sometimes even very loving way. But I wonder how detrimental these little lies are, where a child has a really clear understanding of what's going on, and an and a parent doesn't honor that and take responsibility for it. I'm wondering what your thoughts are on how detrimental that could be to children, um, uh, as they're growing up that their, their reality essentially is being denied. Yeah, yeah They yeah. are somewhat being gaslit consistently, mm-hmm. right? Like even just the simple one of mom, are you okay? And you're like, I'm fine. I'm fine. Everything is fine. It's like the kid knows you're not okay, but you just lied. And like, mm-hmm. It seems to me like listening to you that one of the really big indicators that you said at the very beginning is like, the body will tell you something's wrong. Mm -hmm. But we, so many things, not just parenting, but so many things that we do take away from this um, physical connection we have to information and puts us up in the head. And so if we go up in the head with information, just going back to narcissists, they'll tell you, you're amazing. You're my soulmate. You're the one, like, I love you so much, all these things. That's not true because you don't feel the same as what the words are. So, what are your thoughts on 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 the way that children somewhat possibly get gaslit or manipulated when they're young?
0: Yeah, it's this is it is a very very complex, nuanced question, right? Because wh- you've got sort of two sides to this. At one level, the child also can't fully be a repository of their parents misery, right? So if the mother were to keep saying, Mom, are you okay? And I'm like, I'm fine. Versus the kid says, Are you okay? Honey, I'm devastated, because I am being invalidated and emotionally abused, no kid could hear. But the middle ground of that would Mm. be something like, you know what sweetie you're so kind to ask me because I'm having a little bit of a hard day and sometimes grown ups do. I want you to know this is not your it not, has nothing to do with you. In fact, I'm so grateful for mm-hmm. you. Um however, sometimes grown ups have tough days. Sometimes grown ups don't get along mm-hmm. and I'm figuring it out, but I'm so grateful that you noticed it. So now what you've done is you validated that the child picked up on something. So they start sort of honoring their detector. You're letting them know because of above all else a child has to feel safe Mm -hmm. right the child can't think that there's an impending possibility that everything's going to split up or you're going they're going to have to move or all of that 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 the parent has it well in hand is what the child needs so even if the parent doesn't believe that but can say that yeah you kind of read the room right on that one like i'm I'm having a little bit of a hard day i don't disagree with you and i think that i think that we have you know. We have often erred in the side of the parent is devoid of emotion. The parent should only right. be strong for the child. And I think that the right. parent can be strong for the child while also validating. The child. I just think, though, Danica, that the vast majority of people, especially people who are going through narcissistic, you know, narcissistic abuse in their relationships. They're already so confused and they're so worried about their kids that it feels like the easiest thing to do is to tell the kid everything's fine, everything's fine. And I think that that's a very high, high order kind of an ask for a person to be able to say, well, I'm having a tough day, and thank you for noticing, and mm-hmm. I'm going to be fine. And it's amazing you notice because that meant a lot to me. So the child's now being reinforced for their kind of empathic bid, for their empathic reach. And I think all of that's great. It's going to waver based on the child's age, too. I mean, obviously, Mm -hmm. with an adolescent, you're going to have a little bit more reach then you might have, you know, and that's going to be different than puberty, then that's going to be different than middle childhood. And then obviously, Mm -hmm. earlier childhood, and then toddlerhood and all that. But it's amazing. I've seen toddlers, three year olds go up to a distressed um, parent and offer them their bear or their toy or their pacifier, whatever suits them. Children are remarkably attuned because they have to be attuned for survival. And I do think that we do make that mistake. We we yeah. think we're doing the good by not making it their problem. Yeah, I think the challenge, though, Stannic, is that some people, you know, they're saying, "Well, what, can I tell them their parent is other parents is a narcissist?" No, you can't. That's too much for them. It's it's not mm. one parent blowing things up like that for the child. It's too much. But if the child were to say things like, "How come Daddy's always yelling at us?" It's so I hate it when Daddy comes home, right? the mistake most parents make is daddy works really hard, honey. You know, it's, it's like, you know, don't, we, we have to, we have to understand that he's, he's working hard and supporting us. That's not the right answer. Cause that child, you have to say like, you know, you know, it's, I have to be honest with you. It's not okay when grown ups yell like that. It's not okay. And you know, we wouldn't let a kid yell like that. And here's a grown up yelling and they know it's hard. Are you okay? So you're yeah. letting the kid know, this yelling behavior, not okay. You're not saying dad's a bad guy. You're not Mm -hmm. saying dad's a narcissist, Um, but you're also not excusing dad's behavior. That's the sweet spot is that idea of validating the child's experience Mm -hmm. without getting into the weeds.
1: Yeah, because it's not just even about being specifically within a narcissistic situation in the household. This is about raising children that stay attuned to their body so that they can sense when they are in the presence of one and then they know what to do.
0: Right. And I think that that idea of children being allowed to be attuned to their body, it's a tough one because what gets challenging is a parent can, with good faith, really attempt to do that with a child. Really, you know, let them be somatically focused on them. They're still going to a school where that's not gonna be permissible. What's that? Six, seven hours of their day, mm-hmm. you know. So there's a place where that is being shut down. So if the child says, you know, teacher, Mrs. You know, Miss Smith, I'm not I'm not feeling okay in my body, can I step out? The teacher's either gonna think the kid's sick or might say no, or you know, does you understand what I'm saying? We our world mm-hmm. isn't set up for this. So I mm-hmm. agree though, I do think one thing parents can do, this is why teaching kids. Meditation and mindfulness, and we know even like in a story, they might, you might read a storybook that has kind of a tense. Not even I say tense, like maybe the little bear's feelings got hurt, and you might say to your child, "How are you feeling?" And they'll say, "I'm really feeling sad about I'm really feeling sad about the bear." And you might even see that they're like holding their chest and like, "What are you feeling there?" Like I feel it in my heart. So yeah, we feel feelings in our body. So there are ways to do this, but we have to engage
1: with our kids. In a way where we're attuned to what these emotions are about. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Um, I think it's. I think we should go through the kinds of narcissists. I think mm-hmm. I'm going to skip along, but I think that's a good thing to mm-hmm. to articulate um, because it can it can be sometimes a little hard to tell what's going on. Not every one of them is a is an overt narcissist that is so blatantly obvious, because they're loud and proud and one upping you all the time. And, Mm -hmm. you know, irrational and drama filled. Um, Sometimes they're a little different. So can you please kind of go through the most classic kinds of narcissists?
0: Yeah, so the most classic is is the grandiose narcissist, Mm -hmm. often called the overt narcissist. But the grandiose narcissist is sort of the Kind of the textbook narcissist. They're arrogant. They're pretentious. They brag. They don't. They they're controlling. Um, they can be very charming. They're, they need to be the center of attention. They don't let anyone else be the center of attention. You know when they're when they're on, they can be the most interesting, charismatic person to watch. You know when they're when they're not getting all the praise and adulation, or they don't win, or whatever it is, they can get quite angry. But they are definitely sort of your salesperson, CEO you know, celebrity type, you know, shiny narcissistic person, right? And that's what we often think of it as. The kind of underbelly of that is something we call the vulnerable narcissist, which is traditionally people have used the language covert narcissist, but sort of the clinical language is a vulnerable narcissist. And the vulnerable narcissistic person is sullen, passive aggressive, angry, a little bit socially anxious, chronically view themselves as a victim. They will, you know, they'll, they will, they'll be preoccupied with their own pain. We see those patterns. So these are people, whereas the grandiose narcissistic person will live in a fantasy world where they're often enacting the fantasy. They're like, I'm going out there i'm going to hustle up funding for my company they might even work really hard and they might again they can be quite successful the vulnerable narcissistic folks we see a lot of failure to launch there there's Mm -hmm. a lot of talking about the big plan but they don't enact Mm -hmm. the big plan because they feel like people should make it easier for them and when they face even one barrier on their pursuit of their big grand you know kind of vision they get frustrated and they stop because they feel entitled to it succeeding just like that. So these Mm -hmm. are the proverbial people who end up in their parents' basements in perpetuity. So that's more of the vulnerable narcissistic folks. And they're very grudgingly angry. They get angry when they don't feel appreciated. They get angry when they feel like they don't get enough credit. They feel angry when people don't tell them they're great. It's just like, they're always grr, grr, grr. Actually a kind of a dangerous form of narcissism too, because whereas the grandiose narcissistic person is often quite extroverted, might even come off as like, they really care. The grandiose people really care what they look like to other people. So that can sometimes keep their behavior in check. The vulnerable people don't have that, so they can snap a lot easier. Then there's the malignant narcissist. Now, narcissism is on a continuum. At the mm-hmm. mild end, we have sort of the selfie obsessed, obsessed Instagram, emotionally stunted, selfish, look at me, you know, emotionally immature, narcissistic folks. At the other end. We have these more severe, malignant, narcissistic folks, where we see things like coercion, exploitation, and taking advantage of people, much mm. more severe manipulation. They isolate people. They're scary. They keep people in place by the threat of the menace that would come if you get them angry. So people are, are again, quite can be quite scared of them. You, I was actually recently, it's interesting, Danica, I was recently, recently working with someone where the, their abuser was a malignant and vulnerable narcissist together. And Yeah, it was- as you're talking, I'm like maybe
1: I'm a little off. Keep going. Yeah, no, these
0: are. This is not. There's rarely is somebody just one. And in this case, huh. this person, the person was so brutally and cruelly manipulative and worked systems and was so punitive, but they were absolutely wedded to this idea of they're a victim. How come nobody wants to spend the holidays with me when I've been such a good person? It's a lot of that stuff. So those two things come together and make their malignancy more potent. Then there are the communal narcissists. The Mm. communal narcissistic folks are the people... get their validation by doing what seem like good things for other people. But they're doing those good things not because they're empathic, but because they want validation. They walk around and tout themselves as humanitarians and look who I'm saving. It's always a photo op. But they get Angry if they don't feel like if they feel like they're not getting enough validation for it. So it was always about the validation. It wasn't about being committed to a cause. And people close to the communal narcissist will often say, you know, the whole world thinks this person's a savior and a pillar of the community, but they're really cruel to us at home. But those mm-hmm. their people in their lives can't get support because everyone thinks they're some grand savior. They'll often treat their employees terribly, they'll treat mm-hmm. their families terribly, but to the world, they're a living savior then there are the self-righteous narcissists. And the self-righteous narcissists are very morally rigid. Their superiority comes from this idea that they're morally better than everyone else. The way they live is better. They'll often be obsessively organized. They'll wake up at 3 a.m. to start exercising, but they'll be very cruelly dismissive of anyone else who doesn't. Listen, you want to wake up at 3 a.m. to exercise, more power to you. But that's not enough for the self-righteous narcissist. They feel the need to shame anyone else who's not living in their perfect sort of a way, and that's and so they're again very obsessively organized, really weird with money, almost miserly. They're kind of super workaholic, and they are and they're selfish. Like they they have other caregiving responsibilities, but they don't attend to them because. That's how important, like, I work harder than anybody in the world. So there's all these different kinds. And when people hear this, they're like, oh, interesting. I never thought of that super ultra religiously moralistically judgmental the self-righteous narcissistic folks are incredibly judgmental i didn't realize that was a form of narcissism but they're like you're right it was there was no empathy you know they would say like a family member of ours kind of just hit some bad luck and they were about to get kicked out into the street and the self-righteous narcissistic family member said well there are shelters for that and that self-righteous person and this person did nothing wrong it just was a job loss and things like that and the self-righteous narcissistic family member was all about punishment. And um, and it really messed that other person up. So
1: it is that kind of rigidity above all else. It's like ultimately a narcissist is always trying to get what? Like what's yeah. that core definition of the narcissist part?
0: So a narcissistic person is motivated by power, control, superiority, and domination. Got it. The, the standard patterns and behaviors and traits we see within a narcissistic person are variable and or relatively low empathy, entitlement, grandiosity, arrogance, the need for admiration, the need for validation, selfishness. They're mm-hmm. very superficial, they're status-seeking, they're vain, they unenvy other people, they think other people envy them. Again, they need to be in control, it's that, that, that whole power play. And all of these sorts of defenses and things I'm talking about, like the entitlement and all the rest of it, it all becomes this these defenses that protect them from a really deep core insecurity and shame but they're not in touch with that they don't understand that Mm -hmm. this is just how they go to the through the world that's why if you even give them tiny feedback because it sort of gurgles up that shame a little bit they lash out at anybody whoever leaves them feeling less than perfect
1: because ultimately deep down they kind of hate themselves
0: they do. They do. I mean, they, they're, it's almost like deep down, what, I mean, if they hate themselves, they feel that they, it's almost this fear of being found out. That's not clear to them that people are going to see I'm not perfect. And I guess then all the catastrophe, I won't be loved. I won't be liked. I won't be a person. You know, they, they can't stand the
1: thought of being ordinary. All those things are just too much. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the healing part because your book, it's not you identifying the healing from narcissistic people. I think the healing part is just as important as understanding mm-hmm. you know what it is that they are of mm-hmm. course you'd love to avoid them but it's a road man i mean like analogies have been used and that i've read and and seen seen videos about of how intensely serious a, the abuse is almost to the point of like maybe an example's been like Uh, you know, a death of some sort. Like there's like a, there's, there's, it's a very intense wound. It's a very deep wound. So how is that, that they are able to wound us so deep? What is it that they take from us or what is it that's gone? What is it that we forget? What is, what happens that it makes it just like this hole? And if I'm just speaking from experience, like it's almost like you have to rebuild yourself. You don't even know who you are to some degree. You don't know what 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 is great about you. You're like not sure anymore what that is. You you feel kind of worthless, mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. how like it feels as though you've been stripped of yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How did yeah. I mean?
0: So how let's talk mean?
1: about the healing side of that of this, mm-hmm. and and just getting out of that that deep hole that they that they. It's just not the same. There's just. It's just crazy how deep the wound is. So when we love somebody, we
0: have certain expectations around them. We've had them since we're small. A child doesn't know about love, but they know about connection, attachment, and attunement. Human beings need those relationships. From when we were some children, we needed them to be safe. As we go through the rest of life, We need them to feel like a person. Like we're we're a social species. We need other people. We need other people to reproduce. We need other people to share with. That's just, we're not a lone wolf species. Mm -hmm. We're just Mm -hmm. not. And so we need other people. And when most people, because like I said, the vast majority of people are healthy and empathic and want healthy connections. When we love someone, we go in thinking that this is about connection, this is about compassion, this is about empathy, this is about you know turning towards somebody and and keeping them safe. And when you learn that the other person in the relationship isn't playing by those rules, that you exist as an object to them. In fact, in psychology and and counseling, we make the the distinction between subject and object, right? A subject is another human being, right? So you, Danica and I, Ramani, we're two different people with two different needs and experiences and we're talking back and forth here, right? An object is something that serves a need. My water bottle is an object, right? That serves a function. I like my water bottle, but I really Mm -hmm. don't care about how my water bottle feels Mm -hmm. because it is a function for me. We're all water bottles to the narcissistic people. Mm -hmm. And largely our function is to bring supply. That's a really sobering recognition. But between the day we get into this relationship, whether it's the day we're born or we meet someone and feel in love and fall in love, and the day we recognize that we are nothing but a water bottle to them, A lot of things happen. We change ourselves in a thousand different ways to win them over. Maybe if I say this differently, maybe if I don't say this at all, maybe if I tell them they're wonderful, maybe if I have sex with them, maybe if I have dinner waiting for them when I come home, maybe if I stop talking to my friends, maybe if I stop working as much, we, Mm -hmm. it's like an experiment. We
1: try everything. We try when we stop being ourselves. And there's never an answer. And there's never because there's never, su- never, there's never supposed answer. to be. That's no. not the game, no. there's never no. supposed to be. No, because what
0: I need is different all the time, right? In an hour, I'm not going to need my water bottle. I'm not going to think about it. You know, tomorrow morning when I want it again, I'm going to think about it again. And, you need,
1: and I, they need drama for fuel. So yeah. they just keep making problems. So there's never they, a way out of the problems.
0: They need drama to feel dominant, right? Because, and it because here's the thing if they can dominate you, if they're better than you, then in a way it's almost more of a guarantee that you won't leave them yeah. right they you need them they don't need you but in this whole big storm mm-hmm. we lose who we are we don't we doubt ourselves we blame ourselves sometimes people in these relationships many times people in these relationships think that they're equally complicit i didn't leave maybe i'm the problem i did yell at them yeah. I think they're a narcissist. Maybe I'm disloyal. What kind of terrible person thinks their partner or parent, whatever, is a narcissist? I'm a monster. Like this whole thing happens for people. So by the time the, the lights go on, a very, very, a very catastrophic series of things has happened within the person. And as the person wakes up, step one is that they recognize That this narcissist, they start saying, oh, this is a pattern and they did this and this is about supply and all the things we're talking about. Step two is when that starts becoming about the self, because what you realize now is like, I don't even know what I want on my pizza anymore because I was told what I wanted on my pizza. I don't even know what I want the thermostat set at because I was always told you can't be cold. It's warm in here. And I'm like, okay. So I would just put on a sweater. So I don't know. People will say I had to learn me. And that is a devastation. And on top of that, when you account for this thing called trauma bonding, which is that deep you know, it's almost, it feels like an unbreakable connection with someone. And the trauma bond is created by the good days and the bad days, the pushing you off the building and catching you at the bottom kind of experience. Mm -hmm. You're my savior. You're my harmer. Mm -hmm. You're so nice on Monday. You're so terrible on Wednesday. Maybe there's something I can do. And we justify when we're in trauma bonded relationships. So people will say for months, sometimes years, They wonder, what did I do wrong? Did I make a mistake now that they're gone? I was just hearing from somebody who told me that her husband of 25 years, or 30 years or something like that left her for someone much younger and is a terrible person. Like the best thing that could have happened to this person is this person's out of her life, but she's hurting and she feels panic at this person not being around, right? So when we're trauma bonded, even when someone who's absolutely unhealthy for us leaves us, we feel like we're constantly gasping for air. Mm -hmm. And so that also healing from all of those processes, radically accepting it. But our identity was taken for some people
1: most of their lives. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I guess I would say, you know, people like I've been single for quite a a while now and you're like, oh, do you ever get lonely? I'm like, no, I can't get bored But the only time I've ever been lonely has been in a relationship. Yeah. And I would explain that to be because I abandoned myself so much that I was separate from me. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. that's why I felt lonely. Mm -hmm. That's why I can sit alone in my house and not ever be lonely. I might be bored, but I'm not lonely because I'm with myself. I'm Connected to my inner child, I'm connected to my intuition. I'm connected to my body's energy and what it's telling me in situations. For me, that's something that's come through after. It doesn't mean there isn't like an intense rebuilding that needs to happen, but but I really felt like you know just explaining the lonely was mm-hmm. because I was separate from myself. Mm-hmm. You have to be to be in those situations.
0: You do, and so what happened? I think you said it beautifully. We abandon ourselves. Some people will say. They create a mask themselves to be in these relationships after they recognize what it is. Mm -hmm. And what happens too is that we have to abandon our bodies, our somatic sense that something's wrong. So when people are in these relationships, it's not as simple as I was in denial all these years. Like I just was, it was a normal relationship. This whole time, your body was very aware this wasn't right. right. And that's why people in these relationships get sick and it's not unusual to see, autoimmune conditions, chronic health conditions, building up, the longer a person is in a narcissistic relationship. I've seen people develop cancers that they didn't have the genetic risks for. It didn't, they, didn't, they didn't have any of the risks for. And I do wonder that this, your body that is in this kind of state of constant high alert, but you think that it's my fault, or this is just how relationships are, or you're just sort of, you're not getting it, that that yeah. disconnection from your sort of your somatic self makes us yeah. sick. And yeah. these relationships and it I can had that take a while to heal.
1: I mean, I had that, I had years of working on getting myself back that maybe my body had the ability to fight or overcome or deal with. But when you're in a constant state of high cortisol and your constant mm-hmm. state of stress, high alert, um, I mean, like all of that just wears and tears at you over and over again. And you can't handle the workouts anymore. You can't handle the other work that you have to do anymore. And you sure as hell can't handle the breakup when it happens because, you know, like, and all of this just tears you down, 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 down. Mm And, um, and yeah, I'm glad that you pointed that out because, um, the health issue stuff is a, is a real thing. Every now and again, you hear somebody say that a narcissist can change, but I don't think that's your opinion. Correct. Correct.
0: I'd love to see the evidence from the people.
1: <laughs> right. I really would. I mean, I, I would listen. <laughs> like give me patient
0: zero zero one. <laughs> I'm not so wedded to my point of view that if I could see that we could bring it we could create meaningful change at a population level. Don't tell me a story about one person. You show me that hundreds have changed. You show me that and I'll believe. Don't give yeah. me a unicorn. I'm not interested. You have a personality. Okay. I have a personality. All right. You know what your personality is, I think. I know certainly know what mine is. And I use this example all the time. I'm very agreeable. So I'm empathic. I'll probably concern, maybe overconcern myself with other people. I'm humble. You know, I'm flexible. I, I follow rules. That's me. I'm also mm-hmm. very introverted. So mm-hmm. I don't like being in social groups. I don't like going out a lot to things. I'm very happy at home alone, like genuinely happy, not mm-hmm. hiding from the world. I'm happy. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's I'm who agreeable. I am. I'm an agreeable introvert. And I know that about myself. Mm-hmm. So if I went to therapy and someone said, hey, Romani, you know, you know why you sometimes aren't doing so well, like you don't push your book the way you should your business You need to be a little bit more disagreeable, you need to be a little bit more assertive and aggressive, you need to be more entitled, you need to make a bit more noise, you got to call people, push them to do things for you, you know, stop following the rules, blah, 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 okay, you need to do that. Let's work on that, right. And also, let's work on you being a bit more extrovert, you got to network more, get out there more, go to go out four nights a week. Danica, I'm going to be very honest with you. I would, okay. I, if I had to commit to change, I don't want to be that person, but okay. And I could try. And if I tried, many days I would fail because they'd say, ignore that person who's in pain, Romney, Stay focused on the game. And I'd be like, oh, okay. You know, but I'd keep looking like that, right? Because mm-hmm. my nature is that, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. That's Romani and her personality journey. Maybe every so often I could show up at the big event in Glad Hand and get on the stage and say, hey, everyone, thanks for buying my book. And I'm not kidding. I'll go to a hotel room and sleep for 14 hours. I will be so Exhausted. tired after that. So now yeah. let's flip that to the narcissistic person. We expect the narcissistic person all of a sudden to become empathic and not entitled mm-hmm. and care about other people mm-hmm. and not think of them as themselves as the most special and not be arrogant and not go for admiration and validation and just be content in themselves why would they i can't do it why should they who changes their personality Short of a head injury or trauma, big trauma in adulthood, I haven't seen evidence of major personality change. And they're the least likely to change because narcissism by definition is a rigid personality style. Them's the facts. So if if we healthy people, and maybe I'm giving myself too much credit when I say I'm healthy, but if I can't change my personality, I think it's ridiculous to think that they would change Yeah, totally
1: fair. Can they be happy? Do you think that a narcissist can ever be happy?
0: Depends on what your definition is about happy for, for anyone. So I think there's two kinds of happy. I, I think there's bleeding happiness, and I think there's foundational happiness, right? So there are people in the world who are happy people, and they have bad days. And it doesn't mean that they're always walking around smiling like a Cheshire Cat. It means that there's a happiness in them, and they get through their days, and they'll say, woo that was the day, I'm going to bed. But if you ask them at any given point, they might say, oh, I'm frustrated now. But like, they're happy, right? then there are the people who are sort of episodically happy. Like we might be happy because we're with a group of friends for dinner and people say, how are you doing? And then in, in the middle of that fun, fun dinner, like oh, I'm happy. This is good. But when the dinner is not happening the next night, they're not happy. Right. So they can be made happy by mm-hmm. a circumstance. Happiness is a tough construct, right? In fact, I think we struggle a lot with measure. Yeah, it's hard. To- <laughs> and I think with narcissistic people, when they're Happy to the degree they can be happy is when they're really well supplied. So when the narcissistic person has lots of money and they're super successful, and they have, maybe they want to be famous, maybe they want to be like notorious, maybe they want to be the best at what they maybe do. They are famous. Maybe they, yeah, maybe they are famous. Maybe they want like so when they're at the top, top, top of their game. Yeah. But even then, the problem for narcissistic people is they're terrified at who's coming up behind them. So if they're at the top of their game, they may not be happy because they're afraid there's someone coming up in second place who might knock them over. So I think that narcissistic people at best are episodically happy from like the moment maybe they win a gold medal or a world championship or a big award. Maybe in that moment, they're happy for a minute. But then as soon as maybe there's a criticism or anything, that happiness goes away. They don't, for a narcissistic person, they don't hold happiness as a
1: stable quality. That makes perfect sense. Um, I wanted to ask you a little bit here at the end, I'm going to wrap up with uh, the topic of politics. (laughs) Do you think that everybody that is a politician or let's say even just like runs for president, do you think they are narcissistic? I feel like I've heard that. And we're coming into a year where, you know, we're going to see so much of this coming through and, um, you know is there a place in this world for narcissists maybe it's a great place for them maybe they maybe this is where their their traits shine i don't know but the association between narcissism and politics is getting more and more pronounced in the
0: present time Narcissistic people are always naturally drawn to leadership. They like being in power. They like the control. Um, They like being the focus. They, you know, because you have to give up a lot of a life for politics, right? So most sane people don't go into politics because they want a balanced life. They want a private life. They want to protect their families. So there Mm. has to be some drive for power that's so overwhelming that people go into it regardless of the cost to other people, right? Mm. Very rarely does a person who's single. Strangely enough, go into politics. Almost mm-hmm. every politician has a partner or spouse because we expect that, right? So mm-hmm. I think that there is a because of that power that need for power that that's there's a natural drive in general for narcissistic people mm-hmm. to do, go for politics. I think there might have been a time, maybe in our history where there were leaders in the, at least in the United States, where narcissism wasn't as central. though I think if we were to do a deep dive into the histories of every, US president there was, we'd find more than not, there was a fair amount of narcissism present. Remember, they had to knock away a lot of barriers in the course of a career, to get to that final yeah. landing spot, if you will, right? And that mm-hmm. means that you had to, like at times, really not be empathically attuned to other people, right? But I think it's on the spectrum. I think there's probably some presidents that had very little, nar- you know, n- not narcissistic to pit presidents who are sort of the ultimate, like, so the, the laboratory perfect specimen of narcissism. I think the way politics has become now, so divisive, so polarized, politics is entertainment, people voting for, per- you know, voting from a sort of, not just self-serving places, but like it's whoever makes the most noise is getting the most airtime. It doesn't matter what the philosophical bent of the
1: news channel is. So I think we're in the ultimate era of narcissism in politics like we've never seen before. Do you think that the reason why Trump is so triggering um, is because you think that he's a narcissist? Is it easy to see from the outside in your expert opinion? Listen, Trump is bombastic. When he, when Trump,
0: one in New Hampshire. You think he'd be happy. I mean, I, I'm thinking, I like, talk about the yeah. comeback kid. But the first thing he did was he spent most of his time getting mad at Nikki Haley. That, to me, was such a classical move. That Remember we just said? Can a narcissistic person be happy? Even when they're at the top, they're not happy because <laughs> they're looking at who's here. So they waste their happy time saying, putting down the other person. Yeah. So here was his moment. And he spent it criticizing someone else. You tell me what that is. <laughs>
1: Do you think that there is, uh, who do you think is the most, most empathic candidate or the best, even just saying like, who is, the, who seems the most empathic? Forget it. I'm going like, nobody. Seems- nobody. Nobody? Nobody. Really.
0: What I'm seeing in American politics right now disgusts me. It disgusts me. Like I, I think that what has, ha- I'm sure there are some small town candidates, town councils, mm-hmm state representatives, some county politicians. I have no doubt there are people doing that small town. There's some mayors out there that are probably good people who want what's right for their town. But at this national and global stage, we are not seeing it. It's getting selected out because, again, the population has to take some responsibility. Keith Campbell, a colleague a colleague of mine, is a professor at the University of Georgia. He's like, we can complain about these politicians all we want. But the narcissistic politicians are the ones who we keep voting for. So as a population, we have to take some responsibility for this because if we know what this is and we're voting for it, they're never going to make. The the thing with a politician is any policy decision they make is going to benefit someone, right? They didn't want to benefit you. It just by happenstance, every decision they make, someone's going to benefit from. So we're no longer thinking in a humane way about people. We're not thinking about Mm -hmm. this policy could hurt people. It's not going to help me, but it could hurt people. We're all people are absolutely voting from a place of self-interest right now. And that's really caused. So now the electorate is also contributing to. So you've got this really toxic dance. And I'll tell you, you know, it's, it's always a tricky topic to me, politics, because, like I said, I've always felt that. Now, in the last 20 years, to be a politician in this country, you've got to have there's got to be something off about you because people are not built for this. So if you're able to do this and tolerate this, and again, it leads to often very profitable careers down the line for these yeah. folks. They get the power they get very the wealthy
1: on their small salaries. Become
0: very wealthy on their small salaries. <laughs> and I think I remember being a kid saying, The president of the United States makes so little money, and I didn't <laughs> understand I didn't understand speaking tours when I was nine years old. Yeah, sure, sure. I um, but I have to say that. A um that I, I again I often I steer clear of the topic just because it creates so much I topic. know. I'm not but trying to set you up him. to fail. It's just but, uh, but it's really that I'm not in, in the in national politics, I'm not seeing anyone that's jumping out to me as an empathic candidate. They all seem to be, I don't care they par- what party you're in what state you're from this is self-servingness at the highest level democrat republican independent parties i haven't heard of the yeah. self-serving nature of what politics has become that basically that they're being allowed to all these politicians again this is this is meant to be not party oriented are 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 tearing up the world for their own sense of their own need to be in power, their own need to sort of advance their own careers, and a lot of people are getting hurt. So me, I have not a good word to say about politicians, I can tell you that right now. What's the solution? <sighs> I, I, you know what, I don't, I think that the, the genie's out of the bottle and not in a good way. When social media came along, and I'm not going to paint social media as a boogeyman, social media is a thing, right? Just like politics is a thing, it needs people to participate in it to make yep. it toxic. But once upon a time before social media, I'll be frank with you, the narcissistic people needed to leave their house to get validation. They'd actually have to go to work or go to school or go to the playing field. Like you wouldn't Mm -hmm. just stay home, right? Who was going to know? I mean, I'm old enough to remember a world, a full robust adult world without social media in it. Yeah, me too. Right? And now this is very much a tool that serves Narcissistic people very very well. So I think that we. I, that's not the answer. I'm saying we've made the problem a lot worse with polarized media, 24 seven media. People have become a lot more conspiratorial. the 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 people who sort of pull the the media strings have really you know they've triangulated it's what happens in narcissistic families mm-hmm. one member of a narciss- the narcissistic person will spread rumors about everyone in a family and before long everyone in the family is mad at each other but only the narcissistic person is left smelling like a rose and that's sort of what is happening is that same form of triangulation happening by narcissistic players who run the media and so I know I sound like I'm wearing a tinfoil hat but no no I um, wear it all the
1: time don't worry but you know
0: what I'm saying so I think that what's permanently on the the answer though is that we 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 look to local politics as a place to start because I think that's the one place many of us can feel like we could make a change like you actually in many places you could actually meet your Tell your your local council member. You could get you could sit with them, and I'm not saying they're going to listen to you. And they may be as narcissistic as everyone else, but there are smaller ways. Sometimes people engage with nonprofits. Like there's that. Oh, it's sort of a it's a lift from Voltaire. But I wrote about it in my. My last book, not this book. This idea of tend to your own garden, like make your corner of the world, infuse Mm -hmm. it with empathy and cooperation. Keep an eye on your neighbors. Be a good friend. Be a good citizen. Put your cart back in that little grocery cart thing. Say thank you to the checker. You know, um, don't fight for the parking spot. There are a hundred small things we could do every day that promote civility. And I honestly think that that the civilians, the citizens of the world, promoting civility could actually be the
1: only way, because the leaders are not going to do it. That's yeah. now become profound. bottom up instead of top like, down, yeah. right? Exactly. exactly. I love that. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's a beautiful way to, to end this. And I love that message. So thank you, Dr. Romani. And it's so good to talk to you again. And thank you again, thank you again for all your good work. I've I have watched and still watch so many of your videos and you help many, many people. So thank you.
0: I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Good luck with the book.
1: The is it? Book? I thank see you. it in the background. Hold it up so we can see I it.
0: Absolutely. Well, I love making myself fall. Everybody get it and read there it, it pre-order it, then get it. And then you'll be the first ones to read it. And I promise you, it's a roadmap to do all the things that we just talked about. So yeah, thank you. Amazing.
1: Amazing. Thank you, Dr. Thank Omni. Thank you, Danica. It was so good to see you again. You too. Thanks, everybody, for listening to the Pretty Intense podcast today. I hope you enjoyed it. If you like what you heard today and you want to hear more, please click on the subscribe button.